Hi everyone, I'm Aisa and welcome to part 2 of our COVID special where we explore the lived experiences of everyday Malaysians during the pandemic as it has just been a little bit over a year since the first lockdown measures were announced by our Prime Minister. Hi, Ikram here. In part 1, we introduced the 13 cast of characters for this special and we took a peek into their lives in the context of their home and their work during the pandemic. So if you haven't listened to that episode, feel free to check it out before you proceed. It should be in our episode listing right below this one. I'll wait. Welcome back! That was fast. This week, we take a look at how relationships were affected by the pandemic due to the lockdown measures in place and the corresponding standard operating measures. We will end this two-part special with our guests' biggest takeaways, lessons learned, and new perspectives gained after the one-year roller coaster. We really do hope you enjoyed this special and cried and laughed and awed as much as we did when we first heard these stories. And remember, we do not claim that the views shared here are representative of the wider experience of Malaysians during COVID, only that these are real stories and true to the people who shared them. However, we have changed some of the names to respect their privacy. Now that the disclaimers are taken care of, we just want to say that we absolutely love doing these specials and we love hearing from you more. So if you have an idea of a special you'd like us to do, be sure to DM us on our socials at seek to speak and if you like this episode, be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It helps people discover us and it helps you be notified of new episodes. However, if you don't like this special or disagree with whatever views that we shared here, that's also great. We would love to hear from you and engage in productive discourse. But in the meantime, let's first start off this episode with a... Cue intro! Seek to speak. I love your cute intro so much. I might just save that snippet for all of our episodes. Can you imagine guests quoting a memorable speech in one of my episodes and then some random guy comes in and say, cute intro. <laughs> Speaking of random guys coming, we will start this episode talking about relationships and in particular, dating and romance. Because as a statistic, in March 2020, Tinder recorded its highest number of swipes in a single day. 3 billion swipes. From March to May 2020, OkCupid saw a 700% increase in dates. And over on Bumble, video calls increased by 70%. So it really looks like the pandemic got people pining for connections, and they're taking action and getting action online. But while numbers have surged during this time, customer satisfaction may not be as high. Here's Shiba talking about online dating. When I was on those dating apps, I would usually try to meet the person within a week or two weeks, you know, mm. to, in order to keep up with the momentum. But yeah. now you have no choice when you're on the apps. You're like, you're just texting them and knowing that chances are you probably won't be able to see them until for weeks or months until they lift the restrictions. Before this, you text someone maybe for a couple, two, three mm. days and you arrange to meet up on a date because I've, I always have this policy where you don't necessarily know how, whether something's mm. going to go right. You need to have like, it's not just texting a chemistry. You could text someone... Uh, non-stop the whole day but when you meet up you could have anti-chemistry yeah <laughs> what is anti-chemistry um, the opposite of chemistry the opposite of chemistry it's a ca- so, repulsion yes um, I'm sure a lot of girls uh, single girls in this day and age they've gone on dates which make you question like why am I even doing this I want to go home I want to take a hot shower and peel my skin off <laughs> And also, like, you don't want a case where you text someone for so long and that person just ghosts you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is something which is a huge concern in this modern dating world. Yeah. So, honestly, when I, during the whole lockdown period, I mm. was very fleeting on the apps because I felt like there was not so much... much- Returns. Um, yes, you're right. So much attention goes to it, right? Yeah. So, was it worth it texting these random people whom you have not, nothing much in common with, um, knowing that, look, it's not going to work out? So, you just like text these people just for attention, for yeah, fun, yeah. but there was really nothing that came out of it. But there was this one guy whom, for some reason, I connected really well. So, um, I was. And it was at- one from the apps as well? Yes. So, I met him on, on Bumble. Bumble's like this app where the girl has to make the first move. Oh, okay. So I met him on it and honestly they, I was also uh, I was talking to a lot of other guys and they were shit guys. <laughs> they were so bad. Like the the value of like the conversation substance was just so bad. You had guys who'd like just come in and like text dirty stuff and you're just like, I don't know you and I don't really want to know do stuff with you now, right? Um, Especially because- virtual stuff. 
stuff. Exactly. Um, so then I actually matched with this one guy. Hmm. We chatted a little, and I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. It's I, I feel gross. I want to get off. Uh, I want to get off the dating app. And I told him like, hey, I'm um, if you want, you can text me on this number. Hmm. But uh, I'm I'm going. I'm basically going off it. Hmm. So he texts me. I hope you're curious about that guy she's met online and went off the apps for because you'll hear more about him very soon. From what I hear, dating's hard during the pandemic, but maintaining friends can be just as hard. When you've got work piling up and you're doing it from home and you've got family to take care of, sometimes even time gets away from you. Here's Denise feeling that loss. When you say loss, I myself, I can say I experienced loss in a different way whereby, you know, I, I, I think I've been so busy working and taking care of my baby. You know, I feel a bit of sense of loss when it comes to connecting with my friends, uh, whereby, you know, I don't have a lot of time, you know, WhatsApping people, catching up with people. So I have a feeling whereby, you know, I, I need to spend a bit more time, you know, in the near future, hopefully, to reach out to my friends, you know. But it's not all loss. Denise still managed to find connection through shared misery and participating in an age-old custom of ranting about your children, embracing the true nature of parenthood via a mommy chat group. Yeah, actually I do. Yeah, so the only group chat that I respond to <laughs> for the past few months um, is a group chat called Zombie Mothers. <laughs> so we created this group chat called Zombie Mothers. Uh, whereby if you want to rant, you know, you can. So if any difficulties, you set it out there and then, you know, all these mothers, they will help you and all that. And it's not just the loss of good dating prospects or companionship with friends, but also the loss of face-to-face -face interaction, the nonverbal cues that make it easy to understand each other. Moving my public speaking classes online was a struggle because I couldn't teach my students nonverbal cues, which actually make up 93% of communications. Can you believe it? 55% of communications is visual, 38% is tone, and only 7% is the actual words that you use. So when school reopened, several of my students were actually really anxious to return to class and not because of COVID but because they were really nervous about interacting with their friends and peers again because they weren't sure how to react, how to talk to them since it's been so long since they have interacted physically with other people. Yeah, communication through online means, while convenient, can actually cause misunderstandings, especially through text because you can't read intonation or emotion. For example, those passive-aggressive texters who reply to messages with K. Literally, the letter K. You people are psychopaths, and you should be ashamed. Jenny and Jerry had the same issue. Well, not, not, on, the, not on the K message issue, but just generally on texting. They had the same issue when they were planning for their solemnization and had to deal with family members remotely, as SOPs changed almost every other week. Ooh, my dear Lord. <laughs> Lordy Lord. To my recollection, the, the two elements that make things very, very difficult is one, of course, distance. The thing is when things don't go as planned, it, it, it's, it's ideal that the problem solving and the troubleshooting be done together. But we, that's not in the cards because we were apart. So everything has to be done remotely. And, yeah. you know, and, and miscommunications happen so many times because intonation can be slightly wrong yeah. and text messages would be, you know, deciphered in a, in a different kind of manner than what was originally intended. Of course, that, that it, it touches certain sensitive sensitive issues. Like when Jenny talks about just night before the solemnization, suddenly there, there was a big, huge change on the number of participants or invitees that could be made. Then it becomes an issue, okay, if there's going to be a cut down on the number of invitation invitees, then whose attendees are going to be cut down? Is it her side of the family or my side of the family? And again, this is a question that we had to answer remotely, not seeing each other. I think like for me, it was very frustrating process because um, it was very hard. Like I, I've gone to a point there, there have been so many changes with the reception. I didn't mind time, dates changes for the reception, but changing the date for the solemnization, that was very heartbreaking for me. And because even if we were to change, we weren't sure if it was going to happen. And I know it's not going to happen the way I hoped it would, but thankfully it did. But doing that process itself is very, very difficult because like my husband said, it was 
communications were difficult on the phone it's easy to misunderstand things and we can't just meet up and like you know talk about it and really sit down and express ourselves we're just stuck on the phone so so many people are just like to the point where i'm having calls meeting on with my mother-in-law with my mom next to my side and you know it just gets really frustrating the whole process Speaking about long distance, let's chat back with Shiba and the new guy she met online. What happened to them? Did they like each other or was there anti-chemistry? I couldn't meet him because I was going, it was during the time when uh, the lockdown was just lifting and I had other plans. On, mm. I, w- I went back to, to my hometown in Kuching and I just couldn't meet him because I was so, so busy at work and I was going back to Kuching for two, uh, mm. two whole weeks. So essentially, we were just texting and getting to know each other for a whole month. Oh, wow. Yeah, non-stop texting. And we didn't even call each other because I'm not very good at phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we have the same humor. So a lot of our texts were about memes. So we would send huh. each other memes. like, uh, <laughs> And we were both uh, on Reddit as well. So we started exchanging memes, funny posts on Reddit. Uh, and it just went on. So it was to the extent that um, so when it finally came time to meet up when I came back from Kuching. I'd settled down in, back in work. Uh, then he was like, "Hey, I'm coming down to KL this weekend. Do you want uh- coming down to KL? So where is he from? He's from Suwanban. Ah, oh, okay. Which is only like 45 minutes drive from my house. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we honestly, I was so scared when I wanted to meet him for the first time because I didn't know how we were gonna be. What if we had anti chemistry? Mm. So I've been on a date where. It was so bad. Um, I just kept talking and talking about chicken nuggets and how to manufacture chicken nuggets because I wanted to go home. I I wanted him to finish, to to eat as fast as he could so I could go home and shower and not think of him again. (laughs) Uh, I'm guessing that didn't turn out. Um, That was not how the date turned out. No, it wasn't. It was completely different. In fact, the date went exceedingly well with zero mentions of running chicken meat through a grinder, pressing it into dinosaur shapes, and coating it with batter deep-frying for three and a half minutes until golden brown. Or, you know, you can just buy Ayama's chicken nuggets. Available in stores near you. Ayama's is not a sponsor of the show. We just want them to be... Ayama's. (laughs) Okay, I'm not even going to respond to the Ayama's joke. But anyways... That's such a curious thing, isn't it? Knowing someone for so long but never actually meeting them in person and getting nervous about the first meetup. Because normally, the stakes are so low when it comes to dating. Like Shiba said, you talk to a guy for two or three days and then you meet him and if it sucks, it sucks. Goodbye. But knowing a guy for a full month and then liking him, being invested in him and then only meeting him in person, the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah. What if he was a murderer? Or worse, has a weird obsession about the manufacturing process of chicken nuggets. Or worse, you actually like the guy. And unfortunately, maybe meeting your special someone isn't one police permit away, but instead a whole ocean away. Because that person is not just outside of your state, but your country, your continent. And that is an all too real experience for Fiza, who is currently dating someone from Europe. It's been a long time since they last saw each other, and here's how she copes. And when I got back, we were actually um, thinking that, you know, it, the lockdown is only for a couple of months and we were planning to see each other every three to four months. But now it has been more than a year that I haven't seen him and um, we were trying our best to find the best way to keep it going as well with not just in terms of not being able to see each other, but also the challenges in time difference uh, because... Um, when I'm working, he's asleep. And when I'm asleep, he's working. And we couldn't, uh, just trying to find the mutual timing that we're available. I think the, the one thing that I, I, I'm grateful for is to have a partner who constantly communicates. And we ensure that we actually talk with each other at least once a day, just to know how we're doing. And, you know, just to... Um, check up on each other to make sure that we're okay so what we tend to do is to set it um, more like a virtual date night wow that's tough but i love how positive she was yeah a bit closer to home but not close enough that a permit won't be necessary is a guy shiba is currently dating the one we talked about earlier here she is talking about how people are so near yet so so far yeah, um, so it was, it is, it has been painful. It still is quite painful. Mm. 
Um, I was lucky because he is a lawyer and he does have his own law firm, which uh, and he has his own, a few cases and meetings in KL, mm. so he could cross districts if he wanted to. But it's a lot of hassle. You have to produce a per- police permit mm. and um, your letter and and everything. So we limited the amount of times we we saw each other. We met each other maybe once every three weeks or so. And wow. mind you, so it, it pains me that Silvan is only 45 minutes away. It's one highway. It's literally just one highway door to door from his place to my place. Yeah. And we're just separated. We can't meet each other as often as we could. Because before this, we're talking about seeing each other maybe two, three times a week. Mm. And going from that to once every three weeks. Which I know it's not as bad as other people. So... I'm glad with him I don't have trust issues mm. so I don't have that oh, yeah. concern about like is he meeting other women or and all because I completely trust him and mind you that's a big deal for coming from me. Yes, trust is so important in a long-distance relationship and according to Visa, it's also about looking forward to the future and appreciating what we have now. I think to for me is my personal um, view on that is to not set a date for us to see or not even to set um, as um, an expectation, um, we know that we're probably going to see each other again, but um, we just don't know when. And initially, like what you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, you know, we set a date of meeting each other four months, and became more than a year. And what we tell ourselves um, is that we, it will happen in time, and we're both trying to find a way. And because of the travel restrictions um, um, we know that there's no way for us to see each other but what we hold on is to to know that we still have each other virtually at the end of the day um, talking to each other um, knowing that he's still there as my go-to person and um, to drop everything um, when we kind of face um, challenges in our own respective country. But um, also another thing is that we make plans of what we want to do after or when we see each other. And I think that that is something that we hold on to. To end our session on romance, we would like to play you a snippet from Fiza on what she missed most about her boyfriend and what she will say to him when they finally get to meet. Spoiler alert is super sweet and sometimes it's great to end things on a sweet note. What do I miss most with him um, is probably the time that we spent together because um, last time when I spent time with him was, um, was in Prague and we were there when they were, there was lockdown. I declared 24 hours and we had to leave the country. We couldn't make plans. I think what I miss most is the companionship in person. I think if I were to see, um, I think when I see him again, um, I would actually expect, uh, I would actually wanted to thank him for waiting for me for that long. At a time where social circles fall away and romantic prospects are hard to come by, we often turn to a constant you can rely on even during the pandemic, which is family. This was the case for Guife, who, in place of social circles, found kinship in family dinners and friendship in drinks with her husband. So I think the best memory that I had during lockdown is, um, you know, because of the scheduled time in meals, right, I find that we are all eating together. And my sister-in-law, who just live... um, very close proximity, also comes home. It's like a family reunion dinner every day. So after which, we will then spend time uh, playing with the kids in front of our front porch. And I, to be honest with you, it's the first time that I bought uh, drinks and I drink with my husband because my husband is not a drinker. So it feels kind of unique uh, doing this um, exercise with him, which I usually do with my friends. Now that's the best part. It's really great when you have that support system in place near you. Isa's family lives less than 5 kilometers away from us. So for us, during the lockdown, well, in a pinch, uh, you know, or when running a grocery run, family wouldn't be too far away. So a quick visit wouldn't be out of the question and it would be compliant to SOPs. Uh, But for me, my parents was just outside of our district with more than 
10 kilometers dividing us and that meant not seeing my family for the whole mco 1.0 however for rahul and anjali it didn't matter if family lived under one roof they suddenly found themselves distanced from their loved ones on a very important day the day of their child's birth due to sops being implemented in the hospital well i guess the challenge about the covid but us going to the hospital was that we had to be extra careful you know we couldn't risk getting covid before um before she was in labor because yeah. if if anything as if i got covid then i couldn't be in the hospital with her yeah. so, so we had to be quite careful i think that, last, that one last one to two weeks yeah we we're being extremely careful and also like um most of the hospitals they've <clears> got their sops now and um so if let's say you go in when you're already in labor you will have to be uh, isolated, first, isolated. Right? Yeah. and i think the worst part is not having uh, your parents yeah. around as well yeah. you're not allowed any visitors so yes. it's only um your husband or one or just one one guardian, yeah. One guardian. One yeah. yeah so, so it's a very weird experience you know, usually you see when people have babies you got the whole family at the hospital got everyone at the ward but for us it was different just me and her you know to do the test then got everything came back negative the next day and we got admitted to the ward yeah and then i was induced and i was in a really long labor oh, yeah. for about 16 hours, 16 hours yeah. and i had to uh go through an uh emergency c section uh cuz i started having fevers and so yeah and i think the worst part was that we couldn't have our baby with us mm. because she developed pneumonia so her breathing was irregular, uh, irregular yeah. and they had to transfer her to the neonatal icu so yeah that, that, that was scary uh, difficult as well because um like the whole time because the whole time she was in labor for the 16 hours they only allowed me to come see her on the 12th hour yeah, so I had to be away. I had to be. I was waiting in the room the whole time in our, in the ward, um, because they they want to limit the amount of people in the labor in the labor room. room area. So they said, sorry, you know, we cannot let you come there. Only when she's about to give birth, then I can come in. So I couldn't be with her. I had to wait around in the room. Um, then on the twelfth hour, they called me. They said, okay, why don't you come and see your wife because she's not ready yet. So I went to visit her for a bit, and again I had to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Until I think they only let him in for like five or ten minutes, yeah, no, and then he had to go out again. Yeah, and they said we'll call you again when she's ready. But instead, I got a call to say that you know we have to bring your wife to do an emergency C-section because she was getting a fever and is getting worried about the baby. Um. So when they brought her in, I had to sit outside the operating theater alone. <laughs> you know that that's another weird experience. You know because like. You don't have your parents, you don't have your brother, you don't have your family with you. I'm just sitting there alone. So, thank God, I think in half an hour, I think, they got the baby out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Within, yeah I it think was very fast. It was quite actually. fast. It was quite fast. But it felt like eternity back yeah. then. You know, just sitting there alone. It was at night, I think. Yeah, it was it at was night. It was at night. Um, so, when they were done, they rolled the baby out in the... What's it called again? In the incubator. Like, ah, like the incubator. And the nurse just told me, oh, this is your baby. You can take a look at her for a second, but I need to bring it into the NICU straight away to see the other specialist. So I, I literally saw uh, our baby for, I think, about 5-10 seconds. And I think after about another half an hour, the specialist called me in and explained about the breathing and how she had to be in an oxygen box, the head box. Uh, and it was tough to see, like, you know, because... To see your to see your baby daughter with you know the IV line, a feeding tube, the oxygen box, and you know I couldn't even hold her. You know that's that's a tough part. I think we can all agree that SOPs are necessary in order to bring the numbers down. But after hearing Rahul and Anjali's long delivery process and subsequent separation from their child, the unintended consequences of these measures are severe and also emotionally difficult. And that is the same for our couples and many other couples in Malaysia, be it the new ones who met online or ones separated by borders or those planning their weddings. Relationships have definitely been tested during this difficult time. But with challenges, therein lies the lessons learned and new perspectives gained. Now that we've come to the end of that segment, 
Um, let's turn to our colorful cast of characters as they share the lessons they learned in the past year. So let's start with Natasha and what she learned from the uncertainties that the pandemic posed for her business plans. So nothing goes to plan. Everyone kept asking me, when are you launching? When are you launching? Do you have a website? Do you have a website? And I always gave them an answer. I'd be like, oh, we're launching, whatever, in December, we're launching in March. We're launching, you know, now the new date is June. And of course, I'm working towards that date, but stuff happens and stuff you can't control happens. And when you're a nobody, right? No one knows you, no one knows your brand. You don't have a website. Um, it's it's hard. Um, so it's, I just felt like nothing went to plan, but it's okay. Like it's okay that it didn't go to plan because it only forces you to think again and maybe even unlearn what you learned to make plan A so that you're not so attached to plan A. It's like, why was plan A so good? Why can't, you know, plan B have a different angle to it that you might not have thought of? Um, Another one I would say as a lesson learned is don't burn any bridges. Um, I say this because, again, it kind of ties to the planning thing where like you have this plan and uh, you know, you think everything's going to go perfect. And because it, it takes a village to set your company up, unless you're like, I don't know, doing something on your own. And it's really individual. It really does take like multiple partners, right? We have people doing our website, people making our bras, uh, people shipping our bras, people doing our branding. And it's not, you know, these are not like full-time employees, obviously. These are just partners. But again, they're partners and you rely on them. There's only so much you can do. You need to assess your strengths, Um and your weaknesses and where those weaknesses are is where you you get extra help right um so don't burn any bridges um in the sense also that you never know when you need to go back to a partner or um you know uh when you someone takes the time to introduce you to a contact don't just like blow like meet them once and then blow them off like try and maintain that relationship and that was really important for us because we needed we needed to have them on like the back burner you know, just in case stuff happened and lo and behold, stuff happened. So yeah, it was nice to have those back burner relationships handy that we've already um, kind of massaged, you know, like have already like maintained that communication with so that when we did, when we do need them, they're there and that they know it's a genuine connection that we want to maintain. We are happy to report that Soko just completed their second photo shoot and it looks like they're on track for their big launch later this year. You can follow their journey at Where Soko. That's W-E-A-R-S-O-K-O. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about mental health. As the National Health and Morbidity Survey 2019 revealed that close to half a million of Malaysia's population have had their mental health affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Since the lockdown measures were imposed, the Ministry of Health has received a high number of psychosocial-related calls regarding mental health, and SPM students are faring the worst. We couldn't get any SPM students. But in line with that, the next four members of the cast, Denise, Jerry, Jenny, and Kieran, will be sharing their lessons learned as it relates to mental health. But I think in the end, it's it's all all got to do with uh, mental strength. Um, I think now I'm getting used to it, and I'm quite confident right now that I can handle things better. So um, now, for example, he has started solid solid food so you know i'm very fast in doing things right now like cooking and at the same time i'll be pumping milk you know i can multitask so everything seems to be easier way easier right now but i think the the most important thing is to really build that kind of mental strength um, and then stop thinking about oh i'm so exhausted you know so eventually i feel like okay you're, you're just going to be exhausted so might as well you know stop thinking about it and then, you know, try to pull yourself together. So for the past two months, it was um, okay. Now it's like, okay, getting better. And then I've been, uh, I've been taking a bit of time to do a bit like yoga and all that. So for example, if like yesterday, oh, I put down my baby for a nap. And then, oh, I quickly, you know, do like a five to 10 minutes yoga. 
you know, I can I can do that. Then, you know, you you you, you will feel better. Mm. And here is Jerry and Jenny on supporting each other's mental health since we last saw Jerry struggling with work stress from part one of this special. But I did realize that during this pandemic that um, support is really a big thing mm. because um, things with work for me has been okay, manageable, but for my husband has been very difficult. And um, as a wife, it's really important for me to be able to support him and be understanding during this time and being there for him. Mm. So um, it might... Um, Things might be okay for me, but um, on the other side, my partner has been having a hard time, and um, it's sometimes is it really the work I wonder, or is it the pandemic? But I realize it is the pandemic that's making things difficult. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, and I, 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 I intend to support Jenny as much as I can, and uh, as and when I can as well. I think oh. um, it's it's understanding that you know that person is going through something mm. difficult. And being there for that person because when you are going through something difficult, it also help because it helps me because um, I went through something difficult. He was there for me, and he's going through something difficult. So I need to be understanding and help him through that difficult moment. So, so remember, you might not be going through something difficult now, and when you are, you want that person to be understanding. So when they are going through some difficult times, be understanding. And here is Kieran talking about why he's still on meds and therapy, despite being in a good place right now. I am on both. I think that is, I think both things are things that I need to constantly do because that's what keeps me together. So I think it's important for me to do it when I'm feeling well because I need to make sure that the cracks don't form. So... If I just stop the medication and the therapy, I think I'll just end up feeling worse later on. I just need to make sure that I do everything I can, even when I'm okay, to make sure that I'm okay. Well, there are many ways in which we can help ourselves and our loved ones. There are also many ways in which we can help communities, women and girls who are disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Here is Hannah talking about how we can be allies to domestic abuse survivors. How can we best be allies to survivors of gender-based violence during this time? You know, both government and civil society resources for survivors are really stretched thin at the moment and sometimes can be inaccessible during moments when they're most necessary. And so during this time, now so more than ever, it is critical for communities to step up to help and support individuals at risk of facing domestic violence and gender-based violence. And... The best way I can recommend someone to be an ally to a survivor of gender-based violence is to familiarize themselves with the concept of the three R skills, which is recognize, respond, and refer. In recognizing violence, we need to make the effort to understand manifestations of violence, understand that something, um, a comment or behavior that might seem harmless or innocuous might actually be telling of a larger abusive power dynamic. And then we remain vigilant. Look out for this person, look out for your friends, look out for your neighbours and be ready to respond and refer when you need to, you know. And in doing so, understand that you need to always familiarise yourself with the support services available, um, both from the gov- both government resources and civil society resources, right? Learn and compile information about the referral pathways available in your communities and be ready to pass this information about critical resources to someone we suspect is being abused, right? Other ways we can help is, you know, to agree or plan on a visual signal to help someone escape if violence escalates, especially if this person is living in the area, especially if they are a neighbour. But most simply, maybe just to call or text to check in on someone to let them know that they're not alone and that you are there for them and you're there to support them in the ways that you can, Right? And just to learn that there's a lot of there's a lot that each of us can do as a community. There's a lot that we can do to help ensure the safety of domestic violence survivors in their own homes. Hannah's right. There is a lot that we can do for each other as a community. Sometimes it's also about understanding where people are coming from and being able to accommodate those who are less fortunate. Here is Muiz, the law lecturer, talking about why flexibility is important for teachers to better serve their students. I think the the key the key takeaway is that uh, as 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 educators as teachers we have to be flexible 
with our students if uh, because not all have the same accessibility so we have to be flexible especially with regards to assessments um, some students they might not be able to send in in accordance with the deadline especially for those uh, students young from B40 families they they only have like one laptop per family so they need to take turns uh, and um, yeah we have um, I think it's paramount to be flexible in this situation COVID has taught us how connected we can be with each other and that we shouldn't take that connectivity for granted. Here's Kieran telling us how he got COVID and his message to those who won't take this disease seriously. I don't know why I should tell the story, but it's a nice story. I was delivering lasagna to my cousin and got COVID from her. So I was, you know, no one is safe. No one is safe. And no good deed goes unpunished, guys. I think the message I want to tell people is that you can get it from anywhere and from anyone. And it it's always unexpected. And it can be from... Just be careful because you never know when it's going to happen and chances are it's going to happen to you somehow. So just take the steps you can to make sure that your loved ones are safe because that should be the most important thing on your mind. If you don't care about the virus, at least think about the people around you. On that sentiment of considering your loved ones, we now turn back to Rahul and Anjali and their new perspective of finally, finally being able to settle down at home after going through months of separation in a difficult labor process. The silver lining of this pandemic was that I've been able to spend a lot of time at home you know, um, if pre-pandemic, I was quite busy, you know, I had to travel around because I have to go for meetings and I went for meetings, you know, in Vietnam, Singapore, I had to go to Sabah, Malacca, I had to travel all around and I wouldn't, and by the time I come home, if we had the baby then, she had definitely been asleep by the time I came back, yeah. you know, so definitely the silver lining of the pandemic is that I've been able to see her grow. And, you know, people say that they grow so fast and before you're a parent, you think that, ah, you know, I think they just, it's just in their heads, you know. But, you know, when I look back at photos, like even from a month ago, the baby looks so different, you know. It's like, wow, this was just a month ago and she like, looks so much bigger now. It's great because I get, I feel like I am, um, like, you know, I've, not had all this time before. Yeah. And now I get to do everything with him. You know, even yeah. while he's working, I just like sit next to him. I just like stare at him sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, these are, I guess, the little things that you appreciate more mm. now. And we've been going through all of this together. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I would have been able to like survive. Um, alone but i guess we're going to go back to that yeah, soon, soon. We'll, we'll be going back to that soon yeah. yeah but at least she'll be a bit older then yeah true. Yeah. and i was able to at least see you know like all the new developments you know when she was able to kind of hold her head up a bit more when she started blowing bubbles and she starts laughing, laughing yeah. yeah a huge part of being on lockdown for our cast was the clash between home and work and having to adjust to different ways of living their lives and the overall muddying of otherwise well-defined waters. Denise, Fiza, and Guifei took this as their lessons learned from the previous year. I myself admit that I've had a hard time separating work from personal life during COVID and setting boundaries. Let's see how they fare. So I often sacrifice sleep, uh, not just to take care of my son, but to work as well. So I have come to a point whereby uh, I have to prioritize myself more than the work. Yeah, not the baby, yeah, the work. So, yeah. So, often than not, like in the afternoon, um, if I'm really, really tired, you know, I'll just take a nap. Then, before that, I'll say, okay, I'm just going to have a half an hour nap and that's it because I need to work. Um, but now, I say, no, if I take, if I need like a two-hour nap, you know, I'll just take a two-hour nap. And then, um, then I've started to learn new skills, to be honest. Like I've started to learn to delegate more, to trust people more when it comes to work um, and have to come to acknowledge and realize that your current working situation, you know, has to change. Um, so in the end, you know, I have delegated more 
and then um, start to trust um, associates, you know, trainee associates more. So, and other than that, you know, I have fixed schedule right now rather than, you know, doing things halfway and then like by 5 p.m., you know, I have to stop working because I have to prepare um, his meals, you know, I have to sort everything out and then I'm going to, you know, get him from uh, the daycare and you have to, you know, attend to him till like eight or nine. And then after that, you know, if I can have my dinner, if I want to, then okay, I then say, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I should continue working, you know, probably till like 11 or 12 and then, okay, I think it's time for me to, to rest, you know. So I've started to build that kind of schedule. And then there lies then you have that kind of certainty and that kind of routine in your life. So you feel more, in a way, you, you feel more confident. Okay, this I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. You know, your life is not so chaotic. If there is no schedule, you know, it's a bit chaotic. Now here's Fiza. But I feel that um, in time, because it has been going on for about a year, I myself need to draw that line myself. So before this, I let work comes in the way and um, work conquers my personal life. But I think a few months down the road, I realized that it slowly affects my mental health and I slowly become extremely burnt out and I needed a change of um, environment, a change of the people around me as well. So... So I started to actually draw the line of having a fixed time not um, not to work at certain hours and only come to work at certain hours. Um, my work phone rings even after working hours, but I make it a point to say no. And Guifei shares the same sentiment. Look, the very simple way that I do is when I have my dinner, I just put my mobile phone away at somewhere that I cannot see, I cannot hear. So that's one way to draw the line. And uh, I'm fortunate to live in a double-story house. So I'll tell myself mentally that when I step down to my dining hall, that's where my family starts and my work ends. So that's how I continue to um, I'll talk to myself or continue to train myself to draw that boundary. You don't get the anxiety uh, when you're like, oh my God, where's my phone? Is somebody like blowing up my phone right now with all these messages? I do, I do. So I will set a time like maybe 6 to 7, I'll totally ignore it. And then I'll go up, um, you know, right after 7. And then you'll see like 20 missed calls or whatnot. And then it gets me uh, very annoyed. But but I, th- I guess we just have to learn how to draw the line. If not, there will be no full stop. You'll perpetually be on work and you will neglect your family, right? So that's something that you have to give and take in life. The next lesson hits particularly close to home for us. While we weren't personally and directly affected by the disease, there were a lot of times where we felt very hopeless and helpless because we were not in control over the situation. There were a lot of uncertainties and these uncertainties affected a huge part of our life. And as someone who is also a planner, this was very frustrating. So we'll take a cue from Rahul and Anjali's biggest takeaways from their challenges and difficulties during the pandemic. And we hope you find it just as useful and inspiring as it did for us. I think the biggest change in terms of outlook is that we had to definitely have a more positive outlook in our life and definitely be more patient as well. Because when I was saying that the whole three weeks ordeal, you, you just had to remain positive. Yeah. You know, because every day you'll be waiting for a call from the specialist to say, okay, I'm sorry, but you can't bring her back today. Maybe tomorrow. And it was every day every for, day three, for weeks. three weeks. Yeah. You were just like waiting to bring her back home. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, having a kid as well during these uncertain times, the positivity really matters as well because, you know, you cannot let the small things bother you. You know, and especially when it comes to work as well, you couldn't come home with a negative energy. You don't want to be angry with with anyone. That's all you can do, you know. You just have to roll the punches, go with the flow, make the best make of the, the situation. Best of the and I think that's yeah. why I said, I think the biggest thing about our outlook or mindset that we had to change during this pandemic with everything going on was that you just had to be more positive. positive. Yeah, cannot Definitely. be as pessimistic as before. 
you can't think oh no what now what do you have to do it's like no positive take it day by day and just you know make the best of the situation and here we are making the best out of the situation positive that the stories shared here might touch someone out there who may be going through a hard time as well personally for us we have our own struggles especially with our fertility journey the IUI and IVF procedures with all the meds and jabs and surgeries that we had to do was further exacerbated by the tests, check-ins and SOPs that came about due to COVID. And there were moments that made us question whether it was the right time also for us to have kids. But of course, when things are out of control out there, I start holding on to things that I can control in here at home. And I start trying to fill my time with things that make me happy, things that I'm passionate about. So Seek to Speak's podcast was born out of the MCO, which then evolved into Seek to Speak's sister program, an online speaking club for women called Women with Words. And now we are starting up a proper community with the Seek to Speak Society. So if you're passionate about public speaking, communication skills, and free speech, I would love for you to join us by checking out our bio links on our socials. What I learned from this process is that there's always something we can do to change our circumstances. Like Maya Angelou once said, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And while there are many times that I felt reduced, by the things and circumstances around me, I'm thankful that I have my best friend, husband, and occasional co-host Ikram to support me as well as all my friends and family who have supported me throughout my journey, some of which are on this episode. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, uh, and I gotta say, uh, Seek to Speak is now in its second season and you really tooled up for the, for, for the second season of Seek to Speak. Uh, which now comes with intro music, actual segments, <laughs> and speech recitals at the start. All also very, very, very inspiring. And just like my lovely wife, Aisa, I too have been productive during the lockdown with several creative outlets, such as Seek to Speak's sister podcast, born from an occasional typo I make, Seek to Sepa, a podcast all about empowering football, sparking football, and instigating football. But you're not even a fan of football. Yeah, yeah, but you, you got to go where the market's at. Anyway, well, I've also tried combining a personal hobby of mine, amateur photography, with uh, my wife's passion for podcasts, with a roundtable panel podcast on Malaysian photographers chatting about their camera equipment called Aperture Aperture. Right? Yeah? You got it? Yeah, you got it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Lastly, I have been quite vocal with my views on podcasts being a limited medium. And I have decided to take my content creation empire to YouTube with a channel dedicated to the two trends I got into during MCO, baking and hairstyling. So join me as I conduct tutorials on French breads and French braids on my new show, No Pan Intended. And... Pan is spelled P-A... P-A-I-N, yes, P-A-N. As in the French word for bread. Bread, yeah. yeah. So you see how the more you explain it, the funnier it gets? Mm-hmm. So how far have you gotten with these? Well, one year on, I am proud to say that we are in the ideation stage right now. <laughs> but investors are keen. Am I an investor? <laughs> well... I wouldn't I wouldn't check your bank statements but but no no you're not but I mean what? Yeah. <laughs> okay okay fine enough with this lame joke um okay in all honesty I originally pitched you the idea of doing this covid special cuz I I was just so out of it during covid my biggest accomplishment during lockdown was moving our mattress to the living room just so that we can watch TV in bed. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I on it. That's why it's my biggest accomplishment. Like, it really is. It's a really great move. But that's it. I mean, I, I realized I'm still very fortunate that the worst of my problems was that my work life took over my personal life during work from home. And I didn't have a performative outlet. You know, but I'm, I'm still very... I'm aware that I'm still very, very fortunate. COVID had some severe impacts in Malaysia. Like, 20% of... Malaysians slid down from the middle income M40 group to the lower income B40 group. Almost 100,000 people have lost their jobs since we went to lockdown last year. Though, you know, I hear it's on the rebound, but still. And, 
an unavoidable fact is that 1,477 Malaysians have died from this disease to date. And it's not just on the loss of life. It's also the loss of life experiences, like loss of living. Like kids are losing out on life experiences. But those are problems that I, in my small and insignificant self, cannot hope to solve on this podcast. Like, who am I? Malcolm Gladwell? I mean, though I'm sure in about three years, he'll release an episode of Revisionist History about how the COVID vaccine rollout in America was somehow tied to the rise of cryptocurrency with some grand unifying theory that revolves around our eating habits. Uh, but by, you know, I digress. I can't solve those bigger problems. But for the ones who were like me, who were like less than inspired or productive or, or didn't bother putting pants on for that Zoom call, I'm here to say, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, I guess. I mean, you went through something that affected the world, like the whole world. And if you're not like, if you're more like me rather than the, the 13 Malaysians that we featured here today, then if it's okay if you didn't learn to make that focaccia or you didn't start a business or that you know you didn't find your your calling or you know start a community outreach program or things like that though it's cool if you did you survived you don't have to beat yourself up about it yeah absolutely right and on that note we will end this special with some of our characters reason for why they seek to speak until next time stay safe and take care Bye. I seek to speak about the COVID pandemic on paying it forward for those with the privilege to survive this pandemic to pay it forward for those who don't have the privilege to survive it. I would seek to speak about empathy. That's it. It's just understanding the different, the different difficulties and the different dimensions of what people are experiencing right now. I seek to speak something similar. I seek to speak for understanding for those who are going through difficult times. I seek to speak for the authority to allow unmarried couples to fly and to enter or to exit Malaysia for purpose of unity or um, marriage. I seek to speak for the environment. You know, we, we grab a lot of food. There's a lot of plastics and our masks, you know, the PPE suits and all that, you know. Um, I've been catching up on a lot of all this kind of news. You know, it's it's not it's not it's not going great. Yeah, that's a short answer. So I I sincerely hope that you know people would um, recycle more. <laughs>